0: You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. We come alive as we are filled with the living word Uproot the lies so we can fully rest in your truth yeah, yeah.
1: Where is the kingdom of God? a good question there is a verse jesus said the kingdom is within you they ask him where is the kingdom he said you can't see the kingdom uh, visibly now so he's not talking about the future coming of the kingdom which we'll get to but he says the kingdom of god is within you and the best i can get from greek scholars and translators is he's saying the kingdom of god is in your midst suggesting he is here he was here and so there is a sense the kingdom of god is within you
0: There are many subjects in the Bible that can seem confusing, even for followers of Jesus. One of those topics is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean and where is it? In today's message with Pastor Danny, he'll shed a little light on what the kingdom of God means and where it could be. At one point, Jesus proclaimed that it was in our midst, which indicates that the kingdom of God is within you. How neat is it that the Lord would love us so much to let us be a part of something so life-changing? Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 28, as he begins his message, the kingdom of God.
1: Chapter 28. Paul the Apostle on his way to Rome to stand trial. And if you've been with us, 276 people on board a ship, including the Apostle Paul, headed for Rome. They've been in a hurricane for two weeks, and God reveals to Paul that if everyone follows the instructions and doesn't abandon ship, Uh, Even though they're going to be shipwrecked, everybody will make it safely to shore. They have now made it safely to shore. And we pick it up, chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Had the privilege uh, years ago, along with a few of us, that were on the footsteps of Paul tour to visit the island of Malta. That was a real highlight. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And so the fire is welcome, but just solid ground would have almost felt like heaven after being in a hurricane for two weeks and most of them, you know, seasick. And if you've ever been seasick, you put your foot on solid ground after being on a boat seasick, (laughs) what a great feeling. (laughs) Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. The goddess Justice was considered to be the daughter of the god Zeus. And her job uh, was to watch over human affairs and report any wrongdoings to her dad, Zeus, who made sure the perpetrator paid for their crime. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Shakes it off, goes back to the fire and the popcorn. The people expected to, him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. It's not the first time people thought Paul was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius. Don't know why you name your kid that, but... Uh, The chief official of the island, he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little disappointed. Now, I'm not disappointed, I guess, with God, but I guess I don't know why God doesn't inspire the pen of Luke to give us more detail about the ministry on Malta. I don't know why we're not told who or how many on the ship that were shipwrecked and ended up on Malta trusted Christ as Savior. Did Publius trust Christ as Savior? Those who are healed, which evidently everybody that was sick on the island got healed. We're just not given any more detail. And so verse 11, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now, why would he not give us more detail about the ministry on Malta? And yet he throws in here what seems to be an unnecessary detail about the ship, the Alexandrian ship, that now they're going to board and head for Rome. And it has the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. These twins were considered sons of Zeus. They were revered as gods, and they had a particular niche. You know what it was? They helped sailors in distress. It was believed that when they died, they became part of the heavenlies. They literally became stars, the twins, Gemini. Why mention them here? I only have one suggestion. It's a reminder to Paul, his companions, and anybody else who might have now trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. What a pagan culture they live in. But now, this world is no longer their home. We put in at Syracuse, stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. Next day, the south wind came up. On the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Years earlier, Paul wrote the letter or the book in the Bible, the book of Romans, If you've ever read it, when you get to the last chapter, chapter 16, beginning in verse three, all the way to verse 16, it's just a list of greetings, one after another, greeting believers that Paul knew who were in Rome. That's interesting in light of verse 15, the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. I've had a tremendous privilege to be able to travel to a lot of different other countries. I know many of us haven't been able to do that, but I've got brothers and sisters and so do you, but I've met many of them. I've got them around the world. I got brothers and sisters in Russia, in Germany, in India, in Australia, England, Austria, Brazil, Canada, Mexico, Miami, which in some ways is another country unless you speak Spanish. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem, handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly didn't intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. They replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, people of the way, followers of Jesus... They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. It's a choice. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. It's a true one, but it's not an encouraging one. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, repent, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now, I'm reading and teaching from the 2011 New International Version. I missed my 1984 New International Version, but I had to switch because they don't print those anymore. And the manuscripts they use to translate this particular version leaves out a verse that was from other manuscripts they included in some other translations. It's verse 29. It's not here, but let me tell you what it says. After he said this, the Jews left arguing vigorously among themselves, which most likely happened because some believed and some did not. Verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. From Rome... Paul wrote several New Testament letters. We're not absolutely sure, but most scholars believe he wrote Philippians from Rome. We know that he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. In Ephesians chapter 2, listen to what he writes, opening verse, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the kingdom, or the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Lucifer. Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those and those who are disobedient. Then he writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, for of this you can be sure no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He writes in Colossians chapter 4, verse 11. Jesus, who is called justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And then you don't want to miss Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of, and here it's called something else, same kingdom, kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion or the authority or the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan. Two kingdoms. I think it's my fourth time teaching as a pastor through the book of Acts. And when I teach through a book, I go back and look at old notes and try to glean from any old notes I can. I always hopeful that I'll be able to glean enough that I can spend more time on the water and less time in study. I know you're just staring at me. I'm kind of joking because even if I can glean something, I usually spend pretty much the same amount of time, but I spend a lot more time on this message, a lot more because God took me in a totally different direction than I've ever been before in Acts chapter 28. And two things, Two places in the text, he kept drawing me to. The middle of verse 23, Acts 28, he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And then verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The other verse said, from the law of Moses, the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. We've looked before at Old Testament passages that Paul would have used that proves that Jesus is Messiah. That's not where we're headed this morning. Explaining about the kingdom of God. It's actually two Greek words. Two Greek words. The first means to expose, to set up, to exhibit. Exhibit. The second means to testify, to solemnly affirm. And then the Greek word in verse 31 translated, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. It means to herald with authority. You know how much the Bible talks about the kingdom? The kingdom of God? Let me just give you one gospel the gospel of Matthew. And I don't have time to give you every verse in the gospel of Matthew that has to do with the kingdom of God. If I did, it would be most of my time. But let me just give you a few. Matthew, chapter five. Sermon on the Mount. We call these the Beatitudes, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, and here it's called not the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light, same kingdom, the kingdom of heaven verse 10 blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven verse 19 anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven chapter 6 Verse 9, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's pattern of prayer for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as is done in heaven. Verse 33, Matthew chapter 6. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Chapter 7. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Chapter 10, verse 7, on the mission trip that he sent his disciples on, he says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. In chapter 13, he begins to list a bunch of parables that have to do with the kingdom. Chapter 16, verse 28, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. He's talking about what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John are with Him. He goes up on the mountain. He's transfigured. They see Him in His glory. Moses and Elijah are there with Him. And they see what the kingdom is like. And Jesus in his glorified state, chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 22, 24, 25, 26, all in Matthew's gospel, verses, verses, references to the kingdom. Acts chapter one, verse three, Jesus, after his suffering, appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. And here's what it says, and spoke about the kingdom of God. I wish I had those talks and messages recorded and I wish I could have listened to them before preparing this message. Acts chapter 8 verse 12 Philip who became Philip the evangelist. It says he preached about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. They're connected. Acts 19:8 says Paul went into the synagogue for 3 months he spoke about the kingdom of God. Kingdom Realm, empire, territory, domain, dominion, rule, the territory subject to the rule of a king. Here's my first question. Where is the kingdom of God? It's a good question. There is a verse, Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. They ask him, where's the kingdom? He said, you can't see the kingdom visibly now. So he's not talking about the future coming of the kingdom, which we'll get to. But he says the kingdom of God is within you. And the best I can get from Greek scholars and translators is he's saying the kingdom of God is in your midst, suggesting he is here. He was here. And so there is a sense the kingdom of God is within you. But I want to be much more technical. I thought about it, read so many verses, spent a lot of time. And as I thought about it from time to time, hour after hour, I tried to get the most simple definition I can of what is the kingdom of God. And here's what I came down with. It's a place where God reigns supreme and Christ is king. Where God reigns supreme and Christ is king. John sees Christ in his second coming. And what he sees, he sees On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Pretty much every day of my Christian life. Now, have I missed some? Probably so, but I'm pretty consistent with it. Pretty consistent. I pray the Lord's Prayer. Pretty much one of the first things I do in the morning. And it includes, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I like to say it in the old King James. I just like that. It just sounds so good. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I can't wait for that part of that prayer to be answered completely. Here's my next question. Where is the kingdom of God? Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. It's from another place. Acts chapter 1, resurrection, he appears to his disciples over a period of 40 days. He speaks about the kingdom of God. And then as his disciples are watching, he begins to be ascending. He ascends up into heaven. A cloud finally envelops him and they can't see him anymore. He's headed up. Some angels come and kind of nudge these disciples and say, Why are you standing gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who has gone into heaven will so come in like manner. Some people believe that heaven is just another dimension, that it's actually not far from us. Based on many biblical verses, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. I'm not saying there's not a spiritual realm that we can't see into around us, but the kingdom of God is not somewhere close by we just can't see it. No. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John the Apostle, let me just read it. After this, I looked. There before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, seated on them, 24 elders. Then you get to chapter 5, and you have John looking and seeing the Lamb. The Lamb, that's Jesus. And guess where he's? He's standing in the center of the throne. He's the centerpiece in the throne room. What are the characteristics of the kingdom? It's not an exhaustive list, but first one we've just seen, that's where God's throne is. I can't wait to see an angel. I've been asking the Lord from time to time to see one here and now, but up to this point, he hadn't let me see one. And you think about it, and I I am, I've told you before, I'm thankful, I guess, for that because, you know, you find record of those who have seen an angel, like Daniel. Daniel saw an angel, came and appeared to him, brought him an answer to his prayer. Guess what he did when he saw the angel? He fainted. He fell down as though dead. So maybe it'd be better in the new body, (laughs) see an angel. But Revelation chapter 5, so cool. Verse 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. They're giving praise to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The capital of the kingdom is Jerusalem, but it's not the Jerusalem in Israel. Galatians 4.23, Paul says, there's a Jerusalem that's above. John sees this heavenly city in Revelation 21, and it's coming down from heaven to earth. Paul the apostle gives testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he was caught up, whether in the body, he says, or out of the body, I don't know. But he was caught up to the third heaven and he saw inexpressible things. He calls it the third heaven and then he refers to it as, I was caught up to paradise. Paradise. Paradise.
0: While Jesus was on earth, he talked a lot about the kingdom of God, but what does this mean for you today? Well, in this series, Pastor Danny looks to scripture to help you further understand what God has in mind for his kingdom. How does it affect you in this moment? What does it mean for you in the future? As you continue to listen to this series, we hope you gain a greater understanding of God's intent for your part in his kingdom. We're thankful that you've chosen to tune in today to the Living Word. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church. Feel free to download or share these teachings with others. You can also visit our YouTube channel. You might be interested in looking back at some previous services that are there as well. Subscribing to our YouTube channel will allow you to be notified as soon as we post anything new. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click the link in the menu. Thanks so much for tuning in today to hear from Pastor Danny, right here on The Living Word.